Well, good morning, Sunrise. My name is Greg. I'm the Youth and Children's Director here at Sunrise, and I get to be part of the teaching team as well. And so I'm just looking forward to getting to share with you guys as we continue our John series. But before we get too far into that, I want to uh, dismiss our children to Children in Worship. That's for ages three years old up to fifth grade to go and get to hear God's message today in uh, their... Good? Okay. Uh, and, and on their terms. So as we jump into uh, John today, I have to give you warning that John 6 is very large. In fact, there's 71 verses in John, uh, and we will not cover them all. That would be impossible. You'd be here for hours, and... Um, no one wants that. You know, let's just be real. <laughs> uh, I don't think I would want to listen to me for that long. Um, so uh, we're going to be covering a lot of ground. Our main text today will actually be verses 25 to 40. But I want to kind of start to walk us through the story before that. The first 24 verses, we're going to kind of process that a bit together to understand why 25 and 40 is so important and, and beyond that as well. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it. Um, at the start of chapter 6, uh, Jesus' ministry is booming. He's kind of the it person right now. He's got a massive following. And so what's happening is we find that uh, Jesus is with his disciples, and he's on top of a hill, and uh, they're, they're meeting together. And then all of a sudden, there's this big crowd that approaches him. And it says, uh, the Bible says that there's 5,000 men, and uh, the reality is probably there was more people than just that, but they were just counting the men at that time. And um, they're approaching, and Jesus asks his disciples, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? And I have to imagine that there was that moment that they all kind of just looked at each other like, wait, who was in charge of that? Who, 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 who dropped the ball here, right? And, and uh, Philip responds, and he says, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite, I, I, as I hear that, I, I have to relate to Philip a bit because I think that he is just someone who's just a practical guy. He's like, he's looking at the crowd. He sees the thousands of people, this mega church coming to Jesus. And he's like, we don't, we didn't fundraise, right? We didn't ask donors. We didn't, we didn't do the right stuff. Maybe I don't know. Uh, I don't know how we could do this. I can't do it. Even if I worked half of a year, I couldn't buy enough bread for everyone to have uh, even a bite, and it actually reminded me a bit of what Ty uh, shared on last week of the man on the mat who was just kind of faced with his problems, and he's focusing only really on his problem and not able to really see that the person who is able to solve his problem is the one who's asking him. So Philip doesn't say, I don't know, Jesus, what do you think? He just gets stuck in the I can't, I don't knows. And fear and worry maybe starts to take hold of him. But then we get Andrew. Andrew speaks up, and he says something very basic. He says, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a boy has five small barley loaves and two small fish. I think it's interesting. Andrew is not someone who's, who's dumb. He knows that's not enough food. It's not like he's like, I got this, Jesus. Don't worry. We got five loaves of bread and two fish. We covered. Everyone's going to be happy. He knows that's not enough. That's probably not even enough for all the disciples to have eaten enough. 
But I think it's so important that what he's doing there is he's looking at the resources he's got and he's willing to offer that to Jesus. He says, I, don't, I know this doesn't solve the problem, but this is what I can give. And when I hear that, when I see that, it reminds me so much of exactly what we just heard news of today. The fact that uh, that number, $125,000, that's a massive number. In fact, I got to confess to you guys that when we were in staff meeting and that got brought up as that's the goal, I was Philip in the room. My, my, my mouth dropped a little bit and I said, well, that's not a safe number. <laughs> That's, that's a Jesus needs to come through, otherwise that's not happening kind of number. That's, that's a, wow, okay. Uh, and I, I would just run into my head, how are, how are we going to do that? How, how are people going to do that? Well, that's probably going to take away from our main offering then. Or, or, man, forget the dessert auction, that's gone. I guess that's not going to happen. And yet, constantly, time and time again, God's like, calm down, sit down, just do what you can do, and I'll do the rest. And that's exactly what the people of Sunrise and people who have given have done. Everyone has, it's not come from one family or another, it's come from people just giving what they can, giving what God's calling them to give, and then through that, God is able to multiply our efforts to do extraordinary things. And that's exactly what it talks about in the scripture. It talks about the fact that Jesus is able to take Andrew's uh, little bit of bread, a little bit of fish, and then he multiplies it. He tells the disciples to go and split everyone up into groups, and it says then he started to divvy out the bread and the fish. And it said that everyone in uh, verse 11 says, each person has as much as they wanted. Everyone walks away full. They're happy. In fact, it goes on to say that there was even extra. Jesus says, go collect uh, what's left. And there was 12 basketfuls of food. Something interesting to pay attention to there is the fact that there's 12 disciples, 12 baskets helping us to understand that God will provide for his people. Now, what's interesting is right after that, it talks about the fact that the people wanted to make Jesus their king, and he slips away from them uh, and, and doesn't allow them to do that. It says that he kind of, uh, you know, leaves the crowd. And it's one of those things that you can just read that and you can be like, well, that was weird, and just kind of move on. But I think it's something to pay attention to, to say, like, what, what was that about? You know, Jesus is our king. We, we say that constantly. Jesus is our king. Why is he not taking this moment? Well, there's kind of like some, a couple ideas that kind of happen here. One is the fact that Jesus, yes, he is king, but this is not the kingdom that he came to have. He didn't come to be king of this section of people. He's, he's about bringing the kingdom of God, not necessarily just this little group of people. And so it's that idea that it's like right king, wrong kingdom, Right? Uh, yes, he's, he is king, but this is not the one that he's coming for. He's coming for the kingdom of God. And the other thing is the fact that these people, and this will be revealed a bit later when we get to our main text, these people have the wrong motives. It was common uh, back then when a king or a ruler kind of took charge that they would uh, have a, a bunch of different ways that they might enter uh, with their kingdom. They might come as a conquering king and they would show their military force and that's how they would enter the kingdom they might come as a beloved king, and so many times they would do that. They would give out food and handouts and things like that. And so uh, that's kind of how they're seeing Jesus in this moment. They're saying, no, you will supply for our need. You will give us an easy life. You can be our king, and life will be easy. Life will be good underneath you. Well, the truth is, is that's not the, the, the offering that Jesus has for them. He doesn't promise us an easy life, one that's not without suffering or, or hardship. 
I mean, we see that with Jesus' life. He faced all kinds of hardships, so it would be ridiculous to assume that that's the, what he's offering us when he didn't live that out himself. And so uh, something to pay attention to is, is why he didn't take that uh, moment to become their king, because he's focused on something else. We continue on, verses 16 to 24. We're going to kind of breeze through it, because that's exactly what John does. Uh, he says that, uh, you know, they left the crowd. He, Jesus says to the disciples, go to the other side of the lake and then I'll catch up with you. And so they take off and he goes up and has uh, some time with the father. And then it just says that he kind of then came uh, walking on the water, caught up with the boat. Uh, they freaked out for a moment. They're like, Jesus, is that you? He's like, yes. He's like, cool, get in the boat. And they cross over. I find it interesting because you go to the other Gospels, and this is a major moment where you hear a lot about what was going on and, and what Peter was doing, getting out of the boat and all this stuff, but John kind of breezes through it. I think that's so interesting that John is doing this because we have to remember, John is writing this later in his life. And I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, man, what kind of crazy life do you have to have lived where Jesus walking on water is not something you're going to pay a lot of attention to. You're like, yeah, that happened. That's just a normal thing with Jesus. He does that, you know, like, like, wow, you have lived a crazy life, John. But I think that there's something more important. We're going to get to that of what John's diving at. He, he wants you to pay attention to the things that are most important, the testimony that he's trying to share with us. And so he's not going to distract from that. He wants to validate, yes, that happened, but he has something more important and something even more spectacular for us to pay attention to. So he crosses over, and then the crowd catches up to him, and that's exactly where we're going to catch up to the story in verse 25. Uh, so this is what the Word of God says in chapter 6 of John, verse 25. It says, uh, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who uh, he has sent. So, this, uh, so they asked him, what signs then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? Uh, what will you do? Our ancestors ate of manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus uh, said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who had given you the, uh, the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread of heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. For as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father has given me will, will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never be driven away. For I have come down from heaven to do my, uh, to, sorry, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the one of, who, uh, of him who has sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. 
For my Father's will is that everyone who looks at the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. So let's process this conversation that's happening with Jesus in this crowd, the masses. So the crowd catches up to Jesus, and their first response is, hey, how'd you get here? Like, why, why'd you leave us? What's going on? Why'd you, <laughs> why did you kind of leave us on the other side? And he kind of calls them out on their true motivation of why they're seeking him. He says, you know, you guys, the only reason you're showing up is because you ate yesterday. You, you, you're not there because you understand who I am. You're not understanding that I'm the Messiah. You just want a show. You just want to be a part of this popular thing that's happening and get your fill and be fat and happy. That's really the only reason that you're here. And he says, stop focusing on your stomach and, and focus on your true need. The fact that you need to understand who I am. That, I, that really the only way that you can be satisfied is if you eat from the Son of Man. And then they ask a very uh, interesting question. They say, what work do we need to do in order to, to uh, get this thing from you? And this is a very common uh, thing that was happening. There, there's this idea that we have to do works in order to get God's favor, to get salvation, to be saved. And this is something that happens even today where there's people who think, I have to do these things in order for God to have favor on me, in order for uh, me to get saved, for me to be away from my sin. But that's not true. That we don't earn our salvation. We can't do enough good things in order for God to give us favor, for us to make it to heaven. The only reason we can enter heaven is because of the work that Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Which is exactly what Jesus says. He says, uh, you know, uh, you must uh, believe in the one that God has sent. You believe in Jesus we sometimes get this mindset in, in our heads, even if we don't mean to. It just happens sometimes when we think, oh, you know, I, I want to feel Jesus. I, I want to I make him happy. And so I'm going to, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to read my Bible and then God will be happy. Or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to change what I listen to. I'm going to listen more to the Christian radio station than I do anything else. And so, you know, that way God's happy. Or I'll go to church and that way God is happy. I think we get that twisted, though, because those things don't make God happy. That's not the purpose of those things. It's not so that God can, can be, you know, uh, relevant. I think sometimes we think of God and we think of him as an influencer, as if he is just trying to stay relevant in our age. He's trying to get us to like and subscribe to his channel, you know, and that's not what he came to do. He came so that we can have a relationship with him. He doesn't need us. He's just driven by the fact that we are desperately in need of him. And so he gives us his word, not because he needs us to read his book and make it the best thing that's ever been. It is already the best thing that's ever been. And we get to benefit from his blessings. We get to praise his name through songs because he has given us that ability to do so. The only way we can worship God and benefit from that is because the Holy Spirit works in our hearts. The, the benefit of church is not so that we can fill seats and big buildings and all that stuff. It's so that we can have community as people who understand that God is working in our life and we desperately need him and we find an ability to be stronger together because of God working in us and we're blessing each other and God is using us to bless one another. We don't, we don't do these things to keep God relevant we get to just respond to his love and his grace. 
So Jesus says, all you have to do is believe in the one God has sent. Respond to his love. Now we start to see the true colors of the crowd in verses 30 to 31. It says, so they asked him, what signs then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? Uh, what will you do? Our ancestors ate of manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're saying, Jesus, uh, you know, the, the miracle yesterday, the bread and the fish, that was cool. We really liked that. Um, you think you could step it up a bit, though, this time? I mean, it was cool. You took, a, you took a Lunchable, basically, and made it, you know, feed everyone. Um, but this time, let's, like, let's have heaven just open up and bread fall down. That would be cool. Let's do that, and that, then we'll believe you. Then we'll trust you. Then we'll follow you. And Jesus calls them out on their, their true motivation. You know, it's interesting. This, this moment is something that every church, every leader has to, to work through. It's the moment of success or failure. It's the moment when the crowd is paying attention to you and you, you have the desire to keep the crowd. Jesus could have easily in that moment said, okay, you know, manna, boom. He has the authority. He has the power to do that. And there would be some people that would say, yeah, you got to give the people what they want. you got to make sure that the people who are seeking are coming into your church and able to get what they need. Sometimes when we do that, we, we miss the fact of what they truly need. And so it's one of those pitfalls that most churches and leaders can, can fall into, where we maybe make it a bigger show, we lighten the preaching so that it's a little less convicty and a little bit more smiley and jokey. Maybe it's, uh, we do giveaways and we try to make this a, a fancy thing, or maybe we change our doctrine so that more people are comfortable in our church. It's always that pull to please the crowd. But the thing is, it's not just for churches. It's each one of us has that own personal place where we want to stay relevant. And that's, we do that through many times through social media where we want to show everyone our blessed life. You know, the hashtag blessed. But in reality, we're hashtag stressed or uh, depressed. Or really, if we were honest, we would just simply say hashtag trying my best, right? So it's important for us to look at the, what we're doing and understand that it's easy for us to want to stay relevant. And it's not just social media. We've been doing this long before that. Uh, maybe before that, it was when people would write letters at Christmas time, uh, and you would write how your year went, and you'd give everyone your update, and honestly, it was just a time to kind of flex a little bit, right? Like, oh, so-and-so made it to this. They are doing it straight A's. They're on the honor roll, blah, blah, blah. And it was a time to easily do that. Before that, it was just simply keeping up with the Joneses where you'd look across the street and you'd compare yourself and you'd try to make sure that all your stuff would highlight just how good you're doing, how blessed you are. But don't be surprised when Jesus doesn't bless your stuff. He's not interested in giving you more things that distract you because he wants you to understand your deepest need. And many times those other things simply distract from his grace and his truth, the, the, the biggest need that we have, which is him working in our life. And so don't be surprised when he doesn't bless our stuff. Be gracious and, and be grateful when we recognize that he is working in our lives. The problem is that many times when we focus on the stuff, we no longer are pointing people to know Jesus, to point to him working in our life. 
which is why Jesus is pointing out to them to not desire, or he's, he has no desire to compete with Moses. He's like, I'm not going to try to flex on Moses. I'm not going to try to hear to compete with him. Instead, I want you to understand who I am and, and what I came to do. He says, my father uh, has given me the true bread from heaven, uh, for this bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says, I'm not giving you manna. I'm trying to give you the real stuff. People get a little confused, though. Uh, they, they're confused. They think that Jesus is trying to suggest to them a different type of bread. Uh, they're like, oh, well, that sounds great. Uh, always give us this bread. Like he's a waiter trying to push the specials. Jesus is going to get very direct pretty much from this point on through the end of the chapter. Our verses uh, 35 to 40 says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never be driven away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son believes and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus is saying, you don't need more food. You don't need more stuff. You don't need more status. What you need, everybody is to understand who I am. That Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the Son of Man. He is the Messiah. He's the second member of the Holy Trinity. And to understand that He is God among us, that is their deepest need. And that is our deepest need as well. Until they understand that, they're never going to understand anything else he says. Until they understand who he is, they're never going to get it. Jesus came for us, for our sins, to redeem us, to justify us. The word justify just means that we are set, uh, that our sins are no longer held against us, that we are cleansed from our, our sins. And so when Jesus, when God looks at us, he no longer sees our mess. He no longer sees our mistakes. He no longer sees our sin. He sees the holiness of Jesus put upon us, not because of what we've done, not because we've earned it, but because Jesus has done that, and we believe in the work that he's done in our lives. And he transforms us, and, we, and the rest of our life is simply living into that reality, is living into that new identity that he gives us. The crowd doesn't like Jesus' word. They don't like his responses. They, they're excited about the food, and now they're getting a little angry, maybe hangry about the fact that they're not getting their food that they wanted. It says they started to grumble, and later on in verse 48 to uh, 51, Jesus continues on. He doesn't back down. He doubles down in facts. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, 
which I will give for the life of the world. He's saying, you know, your ancestors, that manna that you ordered, you know, if you go back to Exodus and you look at that uh, story, you'll see that the people who ate the manna were some of the most rebellious people. They had, God had worked very clearly. He had rescued them from uh, being slaves in Egypt. He had freed them. He's walking, he's leading them constantly every day of their life, and then he's making manna come down from heaven, and yet they still grumble. They still complain, I don't like the bread. I don't like this having bread all the time. Can you make us have meat? And then he gives them tons of meat, and then they're like, well, now this is too much meat. And they they just constantly are complaining, and many of them uh, die in the wilderness until they make it to the promised land. And he's saying, you know, the thing that you're asking for, we've played that game before. We've done that with you guys, and you didn't get it. He says, understand, you need me to build a relationship, to make a way so that you can connect with God again. Jesus is saying he's giving his body up for us. He's offering us the way to repent of our sins and turn to Jesus because he is what we truly need. If you came here today hoping that you would simply get a a sermon about how we can try our best. And, uh, you know, if you just give a little bit more, you can get more. And and you can just, uh, you know, it just, everything's hunky-dory. That's that's not the gospel. The gospel is the fact that we desperately need God to work in our lives. That Jesus cared so much for us that he gave up perfection to live a humble, perfect life for us. Instead of just living a perfect life and then ascending to heaven because that's what he deserved, he gives up his perfect life for us. His body is broken on the cross for us. And he offers us justification through faith in him. He's calling us to a true relationship with him, but on his terms meaning he wants all of us, every part of us, every section of our life. Jesus Jesus expects us to give us all, to give everything, just like he gave everything, he expects us to give everything. And for many of us, that means that we have certain things that we need to start doing or stop doing in our life. You know, Holy Spirit works in magical ways. He works in amazing ways where he's going to place something on your mind and your heart, and we are amazing at ignoring that. We are amazing at just kind of shutting that down where, where the Holy Spirit will lay maybe someone on your heart or something that you should start to do and you're like, nope, don't want to do that. That, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear that. I just want to focus on this other stuff. And yet the Holy Spirit is doing that not because he needs you to get that done, but because he knows that if you start to do those things, you're going to see growth. You're going to get put to that edge again where you're going to require him to work in your life. And so the Holy Spirit will constantly put things on your minds that this is what you need to start doing. Maybe it's some of those uh, spiritual habits that we talked about a while ago, about like, you know, reading your Bible more often, fasting, praying, getting into community groups. These are the things that you could start to do where your faith will grow. And we're really good at making excuses of why we're not going to do those things. Maybe it's that you need to stop doing something that you're doing. You know, uh, it's amazing uh, that the, the scripture is uh, pretty loose around some things, some things it's not, obviously, but uh, sometimes certain people have freedoms on things that other people don't. You know, some people can handle certain things that other people can't. 
And the Holy Spirit is very clear on the fact that if you feel conviction in your heart about something, then it's a sin for you to do that thing. Does that make sense? So it's different for each one of them. So I, I, would, I think that it's important for you to understand that if the Holy Spirit is convicting you on something, pay attention to that. I think a lot of times we want to get really legalistic when it comes to those things. Oh, whoa, where, where's my verse? Where's, where is it? Oh, it's simple. It just says if the Holy Spirit gives you conviction. For a while there, it was around food. If you eat food to certain idols, some people were very convicted by that. Oh, that's worship to that God. I can't eat that. And other ones were like, I'm saved by Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't see any reason not to eat that food. So obviously it's different culturally. But it's important for us to pay attention to those things. So what is God calling you to start doing? What is God calling you to stop doing? Pay attention to how the Holy Spirit is working in your life. You know, people didn't like what Jesus had to say. In fact, it says that uh, many, in verse uh, 66, it's from this time, many of his disciples turned their back and no longer followed him. They started to walk away. They didn't like what Jesus was offering anymore. Jesus doesn't hold back. He doesn't try to change the tune so people will stay. In fact, he simply looks at his closest friends, his disciples, and he says, are you leaving too? And I love Peter's answer. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Uh, you have the word of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. When you've walked with God, there's no other way you can go. When you've experienced his love and his joy, there's no other way that you can be satisfied in life. I've seen people who have uh, attempted to in their life. They'll, they'll be really close with God, and they'll be, you know, on fire for God, and you see them kind of piddle out in, in life, and you're like, what happened? And then you just always see this downward turn. All of a sudden, they're trying to find something that's going to fill that, that God-sized hole in their life, but there's no way they're ever going to find enough stuff to put it there. And so their life kind of trends downward in a destructive path because the only thing that will satisfy our hunger is the bread of life, is Jesus himself. If you are in a place in life today where you came in and, and life's just not working for you, you keep hitting walls, life's frustrating, you can't figure out how to make it work, I can only offer you the same thing that Jesus offers, himself, a relationship with him. And so if you're at a place where you're just like, I just need to talk with someone. I know Pastor Russ is here. I'm here. There's elders here. We would love to talk to you more about how you can accept Jesus into your heart and your mind, start to live a new way, and get on a, a track here at Sunrise that can help walk with you. You don't have to do this alone. God is with you, first of all, and he has a community here at Sunrise that will walk with you. So get connected. Don't do this on your own. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, I again ask you, what are the things that God's calling us to do? God never calls us to stand still. He doesn't say, oh, you've grown enough, you're good. How is God calling you to continue to push into him? Again, what are those places that you need to start doing some of those things? What things do you need to stop doing so that you can continue to grow in God? I think the more that we continue to walk out our faith in Jesus, the more we're going to end up being like John the end of his life, where it just feels normal, where it just feels normal 
to have Jesus walk on water, to see Jesus' effect on people's lives. When you see impossible situations and you're going to say, no, God will come through. That's one of the things I experienced in that staff room that day when that number got given. And it felt like everyone else was like, yeah, God's going to do some really cool things. When we talked to the, the people who were helping us build the campaign, uh, that's what their response was. They're like, yeah, make it big. God will really come through. And I was like, really? Yeah, really. John lived a per, an amazing life. And what I love about that is I think the reason why he skips past the walking on water is to him, the more spectacular thing was the fact that Jesus came down from heaven and walked next to him. That was more spectacular than any walking on water. And that's important for us to understand too. More amazing than any miracle that we read about is the fact that Jesus loves us and he still works in our life today. And so I want to pray for us as we get ready for our week ahead to start to look for those places that we can start to be thankful to Jesus as we see his fingerprints throughout our life and how he pushes us to new things. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for another day to lift up your name, to, to learn from your word. And God, as you uh, help us process John 6, God, I, help us, I pray that you would help us to be like Peter, to say, God, there's no place I can go where I can be satisfied with anything else in my life than you. I am broken for you, Jesus. And you are the one who heals me. You are the one who redeems me. You are the one who justifies me. So God, I just pray that you would help each one of us to find those things that we need to start doing, to grow in you, to, to, to be convicted and stop doing those things that we need to, to, to give up. Maybe it's as simple as certain uh, constant scrolling of our social media because we get so focused on other people's stuff that we stop focusing on you. Maybe it's the fact that we get so stuck on the news cycle, the, the, the way that we live today. 24-7 is just constantly bombarding us with fear and drama and how everything is going wrong. Help us to lift our eyes to you, Jesus, and say, you are good, you are safe, you are enough, and you're all I need. And I don't care what other drama that's happening out in the world. My, my, my focus is on you, Jesus. And help us to grow and be nourished by your word, God. Help us to continue to dive in deep to your word and, and to know that you are good, that you care for us, that you loved us. God, we praise you and we thank you today for you are good and alive and well. Be alive and well in your people today. In your name we pray, amen.